I always compare like my gender to like gymnastics. There's no way that you can express yourself that will invalidate your gender. There is no agreeing to disagree when it's literally someone's life that is on the line. Hey everybody, I'm Brad Palumbo and welcome back to my podcast, Damage Control, where we're reclaiming the LGBT community from the insane leftists who have taken it over and frankly are giving us all a bad name. Today, I talked to Kaya Willis, a young woman who as a college student briefly identified as non-binary, but came to no longer identify with that identity and now describes the community as something of a cult. Plus, we react to the latest unhinged woke stuff coming out of the alphabet community and so much more. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe, like, comment, yada yada yada. And please, YouTube often demonetizes these videos, but I want to keep bringing you this content, so if you're able to, please drop a super thanks, and I will read any super chats of $5 or more on next week's podcast. For those of you who donated last week, thank you so much, and I will read your comments at the end of the show. But now, let's get into it. Kaya, welcome to Damage Control. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I want to kick things off by diving into your past a little bit because you've described yourself as ex-non-binary, which I'm assuming means at one point you identified as non-binary. Take us back to the beginning of that story. When did it begin? How old were you? So yeah, I was first introduced to the concept of non-binary in high school, uh, my high school had a lot of affinity group, diversity, uh, DEI department type of things. And so where was uh, this? I was, hmm? where was this? This was in Dallas, okay. uh, in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Um, I actually went to a religious high school, but you know, we still had our, our DEI training that we had to do. And, um, yeah, we kind of starting young in high school, I was introduced to the idea of just accepting whatever whatever everyone says about themselves. Um, we had training on using people's pronouns and respect people's gender identities. I wasn't really introduced to the specific concept of non-binary though until I was in college. It was where I first met people who are non-binary and that was where I was first told, you might be non-binary and you should start identifying this way because you fit some criteria, but also no criteria. And, um, you know, there's no real definition of non-binary. It's just anyone who wants to use the term. And I was told that I should use the term. Um, and I kind of went along with it. And that was the beginning of my journey. What were, what were these, the criteria that are also, there are no rules, but also <laughs> there are some, uh, what exactly made people think you might be non-binary or that someone was non-binary? So for me, it was starting with, I was a tomboy growing up. I was really interested in more masculine things. I was into like sports and superheroes and all the stuff that was traditionally like boyish when I was younger and going into high going into college, I was less interested in pink and wearing dresses and things. I wore a lot of more masculine clothing. Um, I also, I'm bisexual. So I was, you know, kind of in that LGBT space when I started college and so this was a lot of people who said, well, have you ever considered that you might be non-binary because you kind of don't fit these more stereotypical things? So people actually things. brought it up to you, like you might be. Yeah, it wasn't something that I kind of came to. I had a few people suggest to me that I might be and I should look into it more. And I think that for them it was 
the people that I was around identified as non-binary for those reasons. And so they felt like, well, if that was why they identified as non-binary, then I also must be non-binary. And there definitely was this uh, kind of the way that almost it was explained to me was like for me to validate them, I had to identify as non-binary or else I couldn't legitimately see them as non-binary. And since I was supposed to accept what everybody else says about themselves, I also have to accept that onto myself. And so it was, it was a very confusing time when I was trying to just, I was trying to avoid being a bigot. I was trying to be a good ally. I was trying to, you know, all of these buzzwords. I was trying to be what I thought was a good person, but it led me to adopting this identity that I couldn't even explain or describe myself. And nobody's allowed to question you and ask you to, because that would be deeply offensive and, and problematic. But I find this really interesting because you say like you wanted to be nice and you didn't want to be bigoted and you wanted to be tolerant. And I think a lot of us have felt that way at one point or another. Like, why not, you know, just go along with what people say or whatever. There does have to be a limit to that at some point. Um, but what I'm very curious in is this is all done in the guise of not wanting to be offensive, not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. Yet at the same time, it also seems deeply rooted, the entire concept of non-binary, the push for non-binary activists, the way they describe what it means to be non-binary, it all feels very rooted in gender stereotypes, like a tomboy or a masculine dressing woman or these things means you're not really a woman. See, I don't, I, I almost think there's a degree of gender essentialism to that worldview, whereas like... I think people are male and female, but that really a lot of the stuff we attach to gender is not really related. Like like men, male clothes or female clothes. Like, well, in different cultures, that means different things. And if there's a, a woman who dresses butch and doesn't, you know, and likes sports or whatever, that doesn't mean she's not a woman. It just means she's, uh, you know, more masculine and that should be fine and a tomboy or whatever. It doesn't mean they need to have non-binary pronouns or whatever or be a part of, of some group. But I think, I guess I'm wondering, like, why do you think it is that people can't just be fine being non-conforming in that way and have to put this new label on it? Or is it a part of the kind of, at least when I was in college, it, it was kind of like a victimhood was a form of social currency, right? So it, how marginalized are you? You don't want to be the straight white male because everyone will roll their eyes and tell you to check your privilege in the classroom discussion. It's like, so is it, is it their desire for that? Or is it something, you know, about gender stereotypes that makes them feel uncomfortable being a masculine woman? Or why, why do you think young people are increasingly drawn to this kind of thing, even though it's kind of incoherent? Yeah. Well, if you ask, if you ask anyone what non-binary means, they won't tell you it's gender stereotypes, right? They'll say it's, it's a feeling or some, they'll say something vague, like, it has nothing to do with gender stereotypes, it has to do with my inner gendered soul that has nothing to do with, with those things. But in, in reality and in practice, like, the first thing that people do when they come out as non-binary is, and it's almost all women and girls, is they cut their hair, they start wearing masculine clothes. So there is some amount of gender stereotypes. Now that you say that, it almost is almost exclusively females. I is. very rarely see a male non-binary person. I've met a few, like a handful, but it is it is overwhelmingly female. And I I think that it's because, or why people are being drawn to it, especially people who are um, more like gender nonconforming, is 
I think there is this need or this desire for community. There are people who are, especially if you're straight, because there's a lot of, I find it's a lot more straight and bisexual women than like a lot of lesbians don't, aren't, aren't identifying as non-binary as much, or at least that's in my experience. But I feel like a lot of women who are attracted to men, they don't feel like they're as included or welcome or represented by just being a heterosexual woman and they feel like they are supposed to have this shared experience or identity with all of these other people. And so they've created this kind of new label that's supposed to kind of encompass that identity. That's my theory, at least. And I think part of it is this, there's this obsession, especially with people in Gen Z, who want to create these, these categories of these perfect experiences that everybody has. I mean, for someone, like for me, there's this idea of like the black experience. And it's supposed to be this set of experiences that every black person has, every black person is supposed to share. And if you don't share those experiences, then you're told you're not really black or you're not black enough. And I think that people in my generation have this idea of these labels that are supposed to represent these shared experiences everyone has. So if you don't have the same experiences as someone else, you have to create a new label. And I think that's what we're seeing with the gender stuff is people who have, who are individuals and have their own lives and you know they they have these experiences but they can't maybe can't relate to or are struggling to fit into this category or what society says this category is supposed to be so they're creating a new label and then trying to put themselves under that so how in how deeply ensconced in this community were you right like were were you in non-binary tiktok at any point i did not have social media or i wasn't very active on social media at this point so i was not in tiktok but in person and around people that I was around, they were very much into the TikToks and the influencers. Uh, my school had a wall of, you know, all of the hundreds of thousands of flags um, for all of the genders, not, you know, man, woman, trans woman, trans man, uh, demi girl, demi boy, gender flux, gender fluid, neutral. What college was this? Oh, this I was, was at, MIT. This was I, MIT, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, uh, so they, that tracks, that completely yeah. tracks. So that's where I learned. I, I There was a girl that I knew at school who identified as uh, Jupiter gender or something like that. So huh? I I was, yeah. <laughs> so I, I met a lot of people who, uh, who identified with all of these infinite genders. And now that I'm more involved with like the TikTok stuff and on social media, like none of it's actually new to me, even though I, I wasn't on it at the time, just because people who were around me represented all of it in real life. I was around real life TikTok. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's kind of terrifying. But um, so, so once you identified as non-binary, uh, what changed? When did you start to think, wait, maybe I might not be there? Yeah, so coming kind of packaged in with believing all of the stuff about well everyone's gender is whatever they say it is and you can't question it comes a lot of other ideas as well like you can't really believe that biological sex is real or biological sex is binary or that biological sex means anything um or that's like it's unimportant because you know biological sex can't trump somebody's gender identity and you're not supposed to talk about biological sex or think about the fact that there's like men and women who have different body parts or else that's considered transphobic and so I had all of my knowledge about biology I completely pushed out of my mind during this time. 
but at an elite scientific university. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. The number of people I knew who were bio biology majors or bioengineering majors or majors in some sort of a genetic biological major and they, none of them believed in biological sex or they would say something like oh biological sex is so complicated that like no one on planet earth understands it and i'm like well then what are you getting your degree in like if nobody understands this then what are you actually learning but um but yeah i guess my turn away or my beginning to turn away was that my towards the end of my freshman year of college i got really sick and ended up in the hospital and while i was in the hospital i had to uh, be taken care of 24-7 by a nurse or someone from the the hospital staff. And I realized that while I was there, I needed a female nurse taking care of me. Because I was 18 years old, I was in this high-risk situation of being taken advantage of because I couldn't take care of myself. And so I knew, like, intrinsically somewhere in the back of my mind was saying, you need to ask for a female nurse because you could put yourself in danger. But this was conflicting with my views about biological sex and the reality of there being two sexes and the difference between men and women and like statistics when it comes to, you know, being taken advantage of in these situations. So I had to confront that either I was going to put myself in danger and, you know, potentially allow a male nurse or a male person from the staff to, to take care of me, or I had to commit this, like, what I had considered like a transphobic hate crime by requesting a female nurse or even considering that there could be a difference between a male nurse and a female nurse. And that was really hard to go through because I thought that, you know, by doing one thing, I'm putting myself in danger. By doing the other, I'm being a bad person who is, you know, causing the deaths of hundreds and thousands of trans people. So what, what do you do in that situation? I wrestled with it a lot. And I decided in the end that there was no reason why my ideology should have like ever come into conflict with my safety and that my safety had to come first. And that was the first step to kind of unraveling everything. Yeah. It, no, because that ideology would suggest that, for example, you requesting to have a male, a female nurse and maybe even excluding a transgender woman nurse who was biologically male and hadn't even transitioned according to that ideology you you would be discriminating you'd be doing a hate crime right <laughs> not literally but um and and that's kind of nuts and and you see this much more broadly the fight over like single sex spaces for women um and it is interesting how how they need they feel the need to transgress that boundary because i think that would strike most people as as pretty reasonable but once, so once you pulled at that thread, it all just kind of unraveled? Unfortunately, I did end up going back to school and I suppressed a lot of my thoughts and questions for a little bit. Um, but it did, once the cat was out of the bag, it was hard to put it back in. And eventually around 2020, I did reject all of it um, and just said, this, this makes no sense. I can't make it make sense. So there has to be, you know, something else out there that, that does make sense. And I started to really explore what, every, what, well, really just finding the truth about everything, which is that most of these genders that I've heard of, or really all of the genders I was introduced to in college weren't real things. Um, like dysphoria is a real thing, but 
the idea you can identify as a planet Jupiter and that no one should question you and that that's a legitimate thing, like that's not real and yeah. that's not true. And so it, it took a while to, to kind of deprogram myself from that and to, to just get myself comfortable with asking questions and with, you know, doing my own research and thinking for myself. But how did that go over with your non-binary friends and the community when you were like, actually, guys, I don't think I am non-binary. <laughs> so I, I didn't, I don't think I ever really came out as non-non-binary. Like I didn't ever come out as like a D, D non-binary or I don't come with a D transitioner, but because you, I never you, really went. To... You don't even have to transition to be non-binary. No. It's just a mood. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever really publicly said that, but I definitely questioned a lot of the ideology and with some of my closer non-binary friends and they were not happy. I got called uh, all of the names, transphobe, a turf. I was told that I was listening to Fox News conspiracy theories. I had never watched Fox News in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you start asking questions, People, people don't like to, to hear it. It wasn't even like I was outright rejecting it at the time when I talked to them. I was more of just asking questions and pushing back a little bit. But just the thought of someone not fully agreeing made some people just lose their minds or get really paranoid. Like, why, why are you asking questions? We don't do that here. How can you ask this? Okay, that's kind of culty. Yeah, it really is. So, I mean, that's the thing that bothers me about all of this is this idea that, like, my pronouns are mandatory. They're not optional, right? Like, or I don't have to explain my identity to you or it's like it's my truth or anything. It's like I really don't think anything in life should be just self-evidently asserted and then no one else has the right to question it or try to understand it. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a toxic path to go down especially at some place like a university where you'd think that you'd they'd be open to learning and exploring ideas and having tough conversations. But it sounds like at your college at MIT, just like at my college, UMass, that wasn't quite the case. Yeah. It's insane that colleges are supposed to teach you how to think and how to, you know, come to conclusions on your own and how to ask questions. And these colleges are doing the exact opposite, right? They're telling these young people, don't ask questions, don't think for yourself, don't try to come to your own conclusions, just follow what the masses are saying. And that is such the opposite of what I think higher education should be. But Yeah, I, and it, it really, dissent is not just like socially stigmatized, but it's really socially punished. So I, I remember this, I wasn't even trying to dissent, but I had a colleague, uh, I worked at the student newspaper at UMass, um, and when I say worked, I volunteered because I did not get paid. <laughs> and uh, there was a colleague who identified as non-binary, a male colleague named Nate. And I never have really accepted non-binary as a concept, but I'm also not trying to be rude. So what I would do is use Nate's name instead of a pronoun rather than like aggressively misgender him um, in front of him or talking about him in the office. I would just say Nate right, to, to try to avoid causing conflict. I wasn't going out of my way to be confrontational, but I also felt like I shouldn't have to accept something I don't accept. Um, and so I don't know if they even noticed that I was doing that, but at one point we were having a debate over 
whether or not I could quote somebody, because this was such a woke student newspaper. I wanted to quote Brett Stevens, who is a New York Times columnist, who's kind of a squishy, moderate Republican slash conservative. Um, and Nate argued that Brett is Islamophobic, which in, in hindsight is extremely ironic that the LGBTQ activist was out here like white knighting for, for uh, you know, Islam. But yeah. Anyway, and I said he's not Islamophobic. And I said that he was acting like the boy who cried wolf. Oh, I done, I done messed up with that. That was, I got disciplined, written up, and told that if I uh, engaged in a similarly discriminatory act once again, I would be terminated from my position. Which is so funny because it's literally an expression. It's like I would say that about a person of any gender. It's an expression from like a fable. And yet they, the fact that I referred to him as a boy, even in that context, was so problematic that I was literally formally sanctioned and disciplined. And that still stands out to me as one of the most insane things uh, of my college experience. But it's honestly probably not even the worst one. What would you even say? Like, the them who cried wolf? Like, how do you even fix that I guess you could phrase. say the person who cried wolf. The and then person. they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, oh, from the boy who cried wolf? And they'd be like, bang, hate crime. Like, there's, you, at some point, you, they're taking away the ability to even communicate ideas with this, yeah. this kind of philosophy. So when you yeah. look back at the, the kind of non-binary activism and all of this, where, do you think it's going to die out? Or do you think that people are going to keep going with this and that 20 years from now, it will just be completely normalized and popularized? I go back and forth on this. Some days it feels like things are getting better, especially as parents of younger kids are becoming more aware of what they're being taught in schools. Like when I was in Boston, there was a time when I was uh, assistant teaching at a middle school and the middle school students there were being, they had the same wall of genders that I had in my college. So... For those kids, I was very concerned that 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th graders, you know, were being taught this stuff so young that they were never going to be able to break out of it. But then with COVID and so many kids going remote and parents and seeing what they're being taught, there are more parents who are aware. But then there are also, you know, people who are my age and older who have their own kids who are teaching their kids from a young age that this stuff is normal. So I think that there's going to be a split. You're going to have, I think, a large number of people who either went through it and got out of it, like me, or whose parents got to them early. But I think you're also going to have a large number of people who it's so ingrained in who they are. Like, there are a lot of people my age where I don't know if they'll ever grow out of it because they went to a high school that validated them, went to a college that validated them, specifically looked for jobs that have, you know, DEI departments and stuff. And I hear a lot of conservatives saying that, you know, oh, when the, this is just a kid thing. And when these kids become adults, they're going to grow out of it. And it's just going to become this thing that they regretted when they were teenagers. But as more and more workplaces are adopting these DEI, you know, programs and are making their employees put pronouns in their bios and are, you know, you can get fired if you misgender someone. Like some of these people are never really growing out of it because it just follows them for the rest of their lives. 
and then with states who are you know replacing driver's licenses with X's on them and passports with X's on them as the male or female they can like replace it with a non-binary X it's now also being put into the legal system so I don't know how much of this you can undo and how much of this is going to become a permanent part of our society going forwards. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I do find it funny, like Mexico did the non-binary passports recently. And I'm like, dude, your country's literally run by criminal drug cartels. And yet you're redoing your passports to be inclusive of non-binary. Just, it seems like bizarre and decadent and really <laughs> warped priorities. Um, but I guess I, I also feel similarly conflicted about whether or not it will it will continue to grow and expand because I, I think it's prompting a backlash. And over the last few years, uh, I think there's been a backlash to LGBT acceptance and we've started to see it decline and even support for gay marriage decline a little and some back pu- pushback on that on the right, whereas a few years ago, people were really kind of moving on from that. And so... I talk to people in the LGBT community all the time, and I have a lot of people who message me who are somewhere in this umbrella, um, and they say things to the effect of like, I'm so glad you're speaking out against this, I'm really concerned about this, blah, 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 and and at some point, it has to get so bad and so counterproductive that like mainstream leaders in the LGBT, even liberals, even progressives, like say, all right, guys, we need to stop this, like we need to right our own ship, police our own, and but at the, the, on the other hand, though, there's this sunk cost element to it, that they've invested years into defending something, and then it is very human to not want to admit you were wrong when you've been publicly on the record and you've defended and you've put so much of your reputation and your time and your energy into defending something. It then becomes harder and harder to admit you were wrong. And that's like, especially the longer it goes, it gets even harder to admit you are wrong. And, and so then people engage in like motivated reasoning, in cognitive dissonance to try to, to look for ways to cling to their position, even as it becomes increasingly, increasingly untenable. And then they'll like shift the goalposts and they'll shift the arguments. So I think I can talk myself into either scenario, but I could see uh, them continuing down this path. And that worries me because then I think the far right will, will continue down a backlash path. And then I think a lot of Americans are going to be left behind because they fall somewhere in the middle of those extremes. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, Kaya. Now we've got to move on to everybody's favorite part of the show where we react to woke insanity and woke TikToks and, and try to, to restore a little bit of sanity to this conversation over LGBT issues because the far left is really driving us off a cliff. Up first, we've got someone who this clip is extremely viral on YouTube, you know, going out to probably millions of young people explaining and laughing about how funny it is that they don't even understand or know their own gender identity. Take a look. Wait, when did you come out as, are you gender fluid or non-binary? I usually just say non-binary. Like if I think to, I always compare like my gender to like gymnastics. Cause it's like, you know how like some gymnasts get a mental block and then they physically can't do a trick. Yeah. I feel like whenever I start to ponder over my like gender, gender identity, identity yeah. I just can't. Yeah. Like I, if I think about it too hard, I just get way too confused and like way too overwhelmed. And then I just can't though. So I just exist. Yeah. And then I usually just say like, any pronouns are fine. And people are like, but what are you like? Really? And I'm like, I don't know. Ha ha, funny story. I... Shut the hell up. I don't know. 
Sorry. That That's how nice. it feels on the inside, but I'm not confrontational, so I'm like, it's really fine. Like, I really don't know. Like, it's okay. I, just, I don't like, know what it really... is, guys. Yeah. Um... So I find it just slightly depressing that so many impressionable young people are, like, looking at somebody who's confused and doesn't even know what their own gender is as an influencer or a role model or, like, it's cute or funny. I genuinely feel bad for this person. I imagine it must be distressing to not know what – to wake up and not know what gender you feel like. Um I mean, this person is a female, so just for the record, but I'm also concerned that this is the kind of content that is glorified and kind of looked at as funny and cool among young people now. And that concerns me that it might imit cause imitation or copycatting or subconscious being drawn towards similar types of behavior. Because we see that in every other aspect of psychology, but yet not in this one thing, we're told. Yeah, and... Yeah, totally agree with the copycatting. I mean, this this was basically how I felt when I identified as non-binary. Like, I I couldn't really explain it or or f understand it myself. And when I tried to think about it, I would get a headache and I would stop because I didn't even know what it was myself. So I think that this is for for people who actually do identify as a lot of these you know genders. This is the reality of how it is. You're just confused all the time because. You can't explain this thing that you're trying so hard to defend and this thing that you're trying to get other people to use your pronouns, but you don't even know why you want to use those pronouns because it's all about, you know, this weird social credit and not really about anything having to do with you or who you are. And so it's, you can't explain it. Uh, but it is very sad to, to see this, this person, you know, go through this. And I know that so many other people are as well. Yeah, I think there's a tendency to like mock these people or whatever, but I honestly most of the time feel kind of sympathy for them because they're they're hopelessly confused and that can't be fun. Yeah. It is very very confusing and yeah, it definitely deserves a lot of sympathy. So, the other thing too though is one of the reasons I think the non-binary thing is met with so much pushback and is not being widely adopted yet. And, and like, if you walk on the street and you ask people, like, non-binary, they look at you like, it's being adopt adopted in, like, media and academ academia and even, like, business that's gone woke and stuff. Uh, but I don't think the, the broad population is ever going to fully buy into this. And it's a good example of, I think, the distinction between the new, like, LGBTQI2 plus activism and, like, old school gay rights activism. Because they're trying to abolish gender and abolish sex as we know it, basically. And that requires taking something from other people about how they identify and how they understand the world and forcing them to redefine it. Whereas, like, the original gay rights fight was, like, well, we want to also be able to get married or like also have partner visitation in the hospital or also be able to adopt children. But like it, I almost so so the way that, for example, like non-binary activists will relabel things like chest feeders instead of breast feeders or say that's the proper term or this kind of thing. It's almost like if during the fight for gay marriage, they had said that we want gay marriage and also from now on heterosexual couples need to say spouse instead of husband and wife because in our marriages there's two husbands or two wives. It's like that kind of thing where their activism is taking or subtracting from other people. It's not just asking to be included. It's not just live and let live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The gay rights movement was very leave us alone. Let us do our thing. 
we don't want to bother you, you don't want to bother us, let's just coexist. Right, and now it's with uh, all, this, all this gender stuff, it's not leave us alone, right? It's you actively have to participate in everything that we're doing and you have to, you know, you, yeah, like I said, use all the language we want to use and everything. And yeah, I, I think the fact that, I mean, we're seeing this new separation now, the LGB walking away from the T. Um, and yeah, it seems like part of that is because these, the OG LGBs, you know, don't want, <laughs> don't want their, you know, leave me alone, just let me get married to be clumped into to all of this other stuff that has nothing to do with, you know, the original fighting for just equal protection under the law and being able to just live your life. Well, Kaya, did you know that homophobia is literally murder? That's what this next TikToker said when discussing the recent tragic murder of someone named O'Shea Sibley. Take a look and a listen to this interesting perspective. Your homophobia is killing people. It is killing people. O'Shea Sibley was dancing. Dancing. He was voguing. He was simply just existing as a gay black man enjoying life and he was murdered because of it. Homophobic slurs were thrown at him and he was stabbed to death because he was dancing. Y'all are raising murderers. Your bigotry is murder. There is no agreeing to disagree when it's literally someone's life that is on the line. You cannot agree to disagree whether someone deserves to exist. It is murder. Homophobia is murder. So, Kaya, that TikTok has almost 2 million views. So this message is getting out to millions of, of young people. And, of course, I think it, it goes without saying that this murder, and which is allegedly a hate crime, is, is horrific, right? And if this accused person really did stab somebody because of they thought they were dancing in a gay way or whatever... That's like horrifying and evil. And I think almost everyone would, would agree. And, and so that aspect of this is, is uncontroversial. But what I found very distasteful and gross about this is the attempt to essentially like push the blame, which belongs on the alleged murderer, and then say it's like, well, anyone who's ever said anything homophobic, by which you know they define that very broadly, like ever disagreed with gay marriage, homophobic ever, you know, disagreed with trans and kids, homophobic. You know that these types of TikTokers define that to mean just about any form of dissent. You're actually essentially letting the killer or alleged killer off the hook and saying their actions aren't really all their fault. It's also really the fault of all these other people for saying bad things I don't like. I find that element of it very disturbing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the idea that any person who has ever thought a bad thing or said a bad thing about, you know, a gay person is the equivalent of a murderer is insane. Now, homophobia is wrong. It is bad. I think we've already, we should both be on the same page about that. But yeah, there's the, this whole words are violence and thoughts are violence, you know, narrative that comes from the left that any time that you say something that they disagree with or think something that is mean or something that is bad that is the equivalent of harming someone is how you get so many people who are afraid to speak what they want to say what they want to say or to think certain things you know there is a way to end homophobia and there is a way to you know 
decrease the amount of irrational bigotry that we have in this country and the but it's not telling anyone who you disagree with or anyone who says something bad that they're a murderer or that they're hurting people because that's just not true and that's not going to convince anybody because it's not true yeah and i also hate this idea of there is no agree to disagree there is no debate over another person's right to exist nobody with the exception of maybe some really fringe evil people out there somewhere is saying gay people don't have a right to exist or trans people aren't don't exist or don't have a right to exist nobody is saying that and so to to caricature the debate over different issues whether it's like i'm sure this person would say that it's homophobic to argue that the cake baker shouldn't have to bake the cake right and to to try to take like the complex legal or societal debates that are still ongoing over these issues and simplify it all to there is no debate it's my truth you have no right to question my existence is to me a very illiberal way that they're trying to silence a conversation they're afraid they can't win if it's had openly and honestly yeah, exactly. The exactly that's their their whole broad use of this term homophobia that includes everything from refusing to bake a cake to murder and then trying to like you said before trying to clump everybody as if these are the same the two same things that yeah. And I I literally say this as somebody who's experienced a lot of homophobia <laughs> from like far far right from groypers like. I've probably had thousands of times people call me slurs or like say horrible things about me because I'm gay and they're homophobic. Uh, and like, it's not super mainstream on the right or anything, but on, there are very online factions who are still very homophobic. And so I've borne the brunt of that. I've also been like chased by homeless people because I was uh, holding hands with, uh, with a guy or something. Like I've had horrifying experiences with this. And to be clear, like my experiences are a fraction of some of the people I know. I have people, I know people who've been disowned by their families who went through conversion therapy. It's like, I've been in most ways very lucky. But so I, even though the, I still have experienced a good bit of homophobia. And so I say all this as somebody who's not like sympathetic towards real homophobia, but I'm very disturbed by this attempt to use the smokescreen of bigotry to just shut down debates. Because if there's one thing, like think of, think of applying that to other issues. I'm sure, and I, I'm, I'm not taking any position on the underlying merits. I'm using this as an example. I'm sure that this talk, TikToker and, and the other people who advance this kind of notion are pro-choice. But that would be like pro-life people saying, there is no debate. This is someone else's right to exist. Clearly, clearly they wouldn't accept that and they wouldn't want that applied to them. But they're attempting to do that to other people. All right, up next... This isn't a TikTok, but it's a tweet that I just had to discuss because I found it really funny, honestly. My, uh, uh, let me read this to you, Kaya, and you let me know on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, how high on your bullshit meter does this, does this ring? A woman named Kellen Henneford tweeted, Breaking my Twitter silence to let y'all know my femme-presenting ass was denied service at a bar in Manhattan because I was visibly gay. I'm safe. I'm fine. But if it's happening to me in New York city, it's happening everywhere. Your queer friends need your solidarity. One to ten, Kaya. How fake is that? Definitely a 10. What does your femme presenting, but also visibly gay? What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> and community notes added the context that this person is married to a man. That... 
That sounds about right. <laughs> but also, like, she could be bisexual, I guess. Right? Yeah. Like, obviously, that's a thing. But what does this mean to be visibly gay? Were you making out with a woman? I assume not, because you're married to a man. Um, but also, yeah. like, I'm sorry. It's giving Jussie Smollett when you say you were thrown out of a bar in Manhattan for being gay. Yeah, can I also, this is just a personal thing, but as a, a fairly feminine bisexual woman who has been in a relationship with men, if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you're complaining about, like, people treating you differently because you're gay, what does, like, that makes no sense to me. I, I hate when bisexual people in het relationships constantly talk about how gay they are. Like, you're not dealing with homophobia if you're in a heterosexual relationship. That's a me thing. I, I, even if she is, so even if she is bi, I think that calling herself visibly gay makes absolutely no sense. I just want to know how, how, how are you visible? Are you wearing a yeah. t-shirt that says I'm bisexual? Like, um, but it is funny how often people post like obviously fake anecdotes to Twitter. Yeah. I mean, you can get a lot of attention and clout, you know, and outrage outrage is what the the algorithm favors so if you're just trying to build yourself up as a you know someone yeah as so especially someone in this specific sphere where being a victim is going to get you out of clout you know coming out and saying somebody committed a hate crime against me is is how you build that audience and how you get people to kind of let their guard down and trust everything that you say so I mean, I, I keep going back to Jesse Smollett for a reason, right? The black actor who staged a fake hate crime and said that people in Chicago beat him up and said, this is MAGA country or some, some sort of similarly absurd thing that people instantly were like, huh? Um, I now, I now, I'm, I, I, a lot of people didn't accept that it was fake because they're like, why would someone make something like that up? But I actually mm -hmm. think it's the inevitable result of a culture that treats victimhood as a form of currency, which I think we really increasingly do. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said earlier, this is also like one of the reasons why some people are identifying as some of these genders is because having these oppression points or these victimhood points makes it so that you can like distract from these other things that the left says are make you like a bad person like being white or being a man or something else if you if you have these victimhood points or these oppression points your voice becomes more valuable so of course people are going to make up you know different identities or different situations they're going to increase those as you said the social currency of victimhood i think that there's that aspect of it i think there's one other aspect which is that if you can convince yourself that you are marginalized then your failures in life are no longer your fault. You have someone to blame them on. And I think there's a yeah. lot of people in this world who aren't happy with their life. And in some ways, it's due to extraneous factors. But in some ways, the problem is you, right? It's in the mirror. And yet, but it's much easier to not accept that and to decide that you are just must be horribly oppressed from systemic racism or you mm -hmm. must be horribly oppressed by a NB-phobic, society or something like which that's a word i didn't even know until recently and be phobic that means like hateful towards non-binary people uh, but i think that that's part of what's behind it as well so up next this one was really interesting to me because i 
think the debate over youth gender transition in medicine is complicated and nuanced. And I have a, I don't support kids transitioning, but I have a lot of compassion for parents who have made that choice because they were told by doctors, do this or your kid will unalive themselves. And yet, I think doctors have, have failed to warn parents about the lack of research supporting these treatments the very serious potential side effects to things like puberty blockers. Um, and yet some parents, some woke parents apparently don't want that. They don't want their doctor to inform them of these things. Uh, take a listen to this next TikTok, which I found very jarring. I took my trans daughter to see her pediatrician for the first time since she has come out as trans. I called ahead to give them a heads up and they assured me everything would be okay. Um, when I got there, it was it was not okay. When we brought up the subject of puberty blockers, which we were just asking for information at this point, the doctor said, oh, I do not have any trans patients and I don't know anything about that. But then proceeded to ask questions such as, have you researched people who regret transitioning? N no. No, I haven't. Because that's not really my concern right now. My concern is to make sure my child doesn't turn into a statistic and unalive herself because she's not being loved and validated. <sighs> so we're finding a new doctor. So the text over this, overlaid over this video for audio listeners, says trigger warning transphobia. Kaya, did I miss it? Did I fall asleep for a second and miss the transphobia part? No, you did not. Nowhere in this video was there transphobia. So all the doctor did was say, have you thought about detransitioners? Or like, have you considered the risks and benefits of this possible approach? This person's like, transphobic, new doctor. And I feel, I feel like I'm, I've, I'm taking crazy pills when I see this stuff. What I find so interesting is that the reason why was she said she doesn't want her child to become a statistic. But... There are detransitioning statistics as well. And apparently she's not afraid of those statistics. Detransitioners find their experience very harmful to their mental health. Yes, absolutely. And there's not strong evidence and studies behind this idea that going through with medical transition from your kids will save them from potential terrible outcomes. There's just not strong evidence, but that's something they should want their doctor to discuss with them. Also, like puberty blockers, which they're asking for, can have very serious health side effects. But it sounds like this person just wants to go with this program and wants a doctor that will go along with their ideology, not engage in actual medicine. I, I can't imagine being a parent and wanting to put your child through some any sort of operation or medical treatment and saying, no, I don't want to know what could go wrong. Just do it. Like, I, as an adult, I want to know everything, you know? Even if my doctor gives me an aspirin, I'm like, all right, what are the side effects? Like, what's going to happen to me? I, I can't imagine being a parent and saying, don't tell me. If things go wrong, I don't want to know. Like, that, I can't imagine. That I, and I, I have a lot of sympathy for parents who are going through this, who, who but, I, again, I just, I can't imagine... There's a difference between, I think, the parents who are being told by doctors or being misled by doctors and being told that there are no side effects and parents who 
are purposefully trying to keep information from themselves. I just... It's really alarming stuff. Uh, and it's just like the tip of the iceberg. I keep, I keep hearing from parents when I discuss the doctor elements. They keep messaging me on Facebook, on email or whatever, and telling me, yeah, my doctor asked my six-year-old if they're a boy or a girl. I had one parent email me and show me correspondence with the doctor and actually say, like, I brought my daughter into the doctor. We said she and her. There was no question about their gender identity. And yet the doctor asked, are you a boy or a girl? And then this little girl was crying in the car afterwards saying, dad, do I look like a boy? Do I dress like a boy? Is there something wrong with me? Like they were, they were very upset by this. And it was totally unnecessary because if you have a kid with true gender dysphoria from a very young age, they will tell you. You don't need to go to them and ask them. They will tell you, right? Like this, it, or it will be very obvious. And so I worry about this. this uh, there's been some really interesting reporting about the infection of, for lack of a better word, wokeness into medicine. And it's hard to know how pervasive it is because like this stuff, I, I have an, a personal connection to the medical system and a lot of it isn't like that. But you hear horror stories about where it is and it's very hard. We don't have data on like, how popular this the the kind of woke approach to medicine is or is becoming but i think the trajectory is clear it's clearly getting more woke not less and that's really concerning to me there is no way that you can express yourself that will invalidate your gender expression and gender are two very different things and you can wear whatever you'd like. You can have your hair however you'd like. You can wear makeup if you would like, and you don't have to if you don't want to. There are no rules. You get to make up your own of how you express yourself personally. And also what your hobbies are and what makes you feel like the most you. You are valid in your gender simply because you are and you exist this way. Hmm. <laughs> so simultaneously, you're like, this person is non-binary, I believe. You're non-binary because you don't identify with being a man or a woman, which is all these things like, you know, ma these masculine things and these feminine things. But also you can be any gender and have anything. You can be a woman with a beard. You can be a woman who, you know, only uh, wears men's clothing, anything. I Is it me or does it not make sense? <laughs> well, we discussed this a little bit earlier, right? How they, they say, you know, oh, gender is anything and everything. And if you can be non-binary, it's just a feeling. And I think that part of this starts with their definition of the word gender. If you ask people who are in this space what they mean by gender, much like with non-binary or demigender or Jupiter gender, they can't explain it. What, what they'll say is something like either, oh, it's a feeling or what they really mean is like, it's your personality or... What they'll say is like, oh, it's so, so complicated and so beyond like your understanding as a mere mortal that you need to have all of this understanding of like intersectional gender feminist studies to understand like what gender is. The, the problem with the fact that no one can explain any of these words and, and even let's go down this logic for a little bit. All of these words, they're, they're so complicated and so hard to understand that you need a PhD in intersectional gender studies to understand them. Because that, that's how it, it usually gets explained to me. If that's the case, then how is it that, you know, anyone is expected to understand any of but this? But also a child like, can know their gender. And you... <laughs> yeah, how can a child know their gender? A child, 
does not have a PhD in intersectional gender studies. If you need the understand, like if this is the equivalent of trying to explain nuclear physics to someone, to like to describe any of these words, then we should all be asking questions and we should all be thoroughly trying to research and understand these things. And this idea that, yeah, a six or five year old can understand their gender is just impossible. We should be questioning those kids like maybe you're confusing you know, gender with something else because you will never be able to fully understand it until you've taken 10 years of gender studies. So it, it can either be one or the other. Either gender is and non-binary and all of these things are so simple that a six-year-old can understand it, in which case it should be easy to explain to everyone in the population what these words mean, or everyone should be questioning it because it's too complicated for anyone to understand and we should all be very confused and that's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so everyone knows I'm not a Matt Walsh fan. I think he has a lot of bad takes. But What is a Woman, his documentary, was well done because it simply yeah. used the Socratic method of asking top people in the fields of gender medicine and gender studies a very simple question, what is a woman? And they could not answer it. And not only could they not answer it, they got very angry at him for daring to ask that question. And I think that is deeply revealing, deeply revealing. But I also think that it's concerning to me as a gay man and, and, and as somebody who generally wants freedom and tolerance for all people, that this kind of just insane gobbledygook, incoherent nonsense is being tied to our acceptance and our rights. Like that is, a, if, if in order to accept gay equality, you also must buy into that, what we just showed you then gay equality is, is in trouble. It's, it, it's not going to be, be here for long. And so I'm pretty alarmed by this radical nonsense that's kind of infected and infiltrated in this community. All right, Kaya. Well, it has been a pleasure to have you on Damage Control. Everybody, Kaya just launched her own YouTube channel. Go subscribe right now. The link will be in the description. She'll be covering more stuff like this and so much more uh, with us at Base Politics. Kaya, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right, everybody. That's it for today's show. But before we go, let's read some of those super chats that you guys left last week because they are very appreciated and you guys had some interesting things to say. Doritol just said, thanks. Thank you for your support. And Kimberly Brundell said, I appreciate Brad so much. I was raised in a cult. I always thought I was liberal and freedom-loving. The right betrayed everything I believed in, and Brad echoes my values of personal choice. Thank you for being the voice of reason in a sea of orthodoxy. I'll thank you for your kind words. RLB983 says, Thank you for your work, Brad. I've been an out lesbian for 30 years, and I'm so scared about where this is all headed. If you haven't seen, a woman being treated for breast cancer was involuntarily discharged from her publicly funded primary cl care clinic in Portland because she objected to the trans flag being displayed there. I actually can't believe what this community has become. We need more LGB and sane T people like you to speak out against this insanity. Axe Lamai says, another liberal here, I believe women are women and trans women are trans women. But even if you want to disagree with JK Rowling, even if you hate her, so what? What does that have to do with her work? The books are classics. Thank you for your support, and I completely agree about J.K. Rowling. 
Chaotic Pasta, funny name by the way, says, First time the algorithm fed me your channel was yesterday, and I'm really into political social debate content, so congrats on the growth. We need to hear more anti-woke gay voices. Sorry if you've already answered the question in your other videos, which I haven't watched yet, but do you agree with the inclusion of the letter T into the LGBT community? I've talked about this at length in other videos, but I'll just say the short version is, theoretically, I don't really think it makes sense. I think uh, sexual orientation and gender identity are distinct concepts, but I do think that ship has kind of sailed. And when it comes to reasonable trans people like my friends Blair White, Buck Angel, Marcus Dibb, I have no problem sharing a community with folks like them. But a lot of these trans activists that I come across uh, throughout the internet yeah, I don't want to be lumped in with them. No, thank you. The Purple Hornet says, thanks for the work you're doing. I hope YouTube pulls its head out of its butt soon. Yeah, we all do, but hey, we're just going to make the best of it. Rachel Murphy says, thanks. Keep up the great work, Brad. Thank you for your support. Heidi Lynn Butterfly says, thank you for your level-headed, nuanced perspective. The work you are doing is so incredibly important. JK Rowling has gotten so much unnecessary hate and vitriol over the years. The pylon is beyond disturbing. I completely agree, and thank you for your support. All right, guys, that is it for all those. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. Thank you for tuning in. And if you want your comment read, just leave a super thanks of $5 or more. And now, I'll see you all again next week.